Hey there, Sean. Hey, Pierce. How's it going? It's pretty okay. All right. That means it's time for another episode of the It's Pretty Okay podcast. Let's do it. Let's start the show. What you gonna do when the people go home and you wanna smoke weed but the reefer's all gone and somebody had the nerve to take the herb out of the doobie ashtray why they do me that way? Okay. So this this week... Uh, we're, we're doing that thing that we sometimes do where, where we all get together and, and read something and, and talk about it, uh, because this time we actually all read it too. I know the rare, the rare, the, basically the only way that ever happens if, is if I'm the one that finds the article first. Cause usually I, I feel like usually I am the one that has not read it. Yeah. in the number of articles I've sent to you all and I'm like, oh, this is a good one. And you are you all will be like, that's stupid. I'm either I'm not <laughs> reading it or I don't. But but the thing is, is this week I'm I am concerned because um, something was said just before we started uh, by Max, which is I have my notes up. I don't know that Max has ever had notes before. So in an inverse of what we sometimes say of do we have enough to talk about? Do we, we have too so much? Pre- well, the opposite. We're so prepared, we might be done in like five minutes. But I highly doubt that. I, 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 might, I clearly, I was gonna say, it might surprise you. It clearly does surprise you to know that I have, I have notes. I wouldn't say more often than not, but it's not that rare. I have notes almost never. This is like, so this is episode somewhere in the three forties, and this is maybe like the tenth time that I've come into one of these with notes. So yeah, that's um, that's that's so, a pretty frequent amount. So, so without further ado, who would like to describe the? Do we call them articles, essays, subtack, substack, it's, it's screeds, an, blogs? I'm not an yeah, expert. It's, Sean's the expert. I I don't know. I I think of to me this is an essay or a post. What about a treatise? No, it's it's too short. <laughs> it's too short to be a treatise, which I know because the way that I took notes was by copying it into a word doc and printing it and even with the font size notched up it's only like three and a half pages long um i don't think that can qualify as a treatise um it's perhaps a screed uh depending on on how you perceive it uh and and its tone but it's not really it's it's not quite fired up enough to be a screed I, i think like i think Peace has become like the the catch all term of of this era. Is it content? Um, it's content. Yeah, it's definitely sure. content. Um, so, I, you know, I guess I I probably should be the one to to introduce it because I am the one who introduced this piece of writing to all of you. Uh, it, it's a, a thing on Substack by a fellow named Jason Diamond, who I don't know from a hole in the ground, um, it, but it, it popped into one of my various feeds and timelines and such through someone else. And I, I, I clicked on it because I was uh, intrigued by the, the title, which is uh, Good Coffee is Now Bad. Mm-hmm. And it's a uh, it's an essay that is both about and very much not about um, what has happened to 
quote unquote quality coffee over the last few years. Um, there, there is some, uh, some kind of crude research in various Brooklyn coffee shops, um, and, and some discussion with, with owners. But the, the general point that Jason Diamond makes is somewhere, it's right at the end of what is my second printed page, uh, where he says, if I'm walking into a place and the number one thing they do is serve coffee and the coffee costs five or six bucks, then I damn sure want it to be excellent. And I want the ownership uh, the owner of the establishment to really care about what they're serving with the obvious implication that that is um, sometimes or perhaps even often not the case in a certain variety of quote unquote upscale coffee shops. And, and I think we should make it clear. And I, I, I want to give credit to this author uh, because I think it was excellently written in a number of ways. And the, the, the thought that he's expressing, even though it does get, or they are expressing, uh, I don't want to describe anything um, is I, I, I think that they do a good job of, trying not to be snobby while addressing that it can be very snobby and in that i want to say a very snobby thing which is this is about the experience the experience of drinking coffee outside of your home in an establishment that prides itself on serving good coffee um you know sean and i live in of the four of us the bigger metropolitan areas i certainly live in the largest one max and kevin you all do not live in areas quite as large. Um, and I think that you, like your reactions to them were consistent with, uh, this is an article about people who live in Brooklyn and their coffee experience. And so I think that your reactions were warranted and, and good. So so walk us through those. Uh, I'm happy to jump in. I, I don't know that I can agree that it's well-written. Um, I feel like every time he tries to make an argument, he kind of walks it back. Um, yeah, that's, that's I, how stuff stack works. <laughs> I don't know what a stuff stack is. It's something about melted cheese or something. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very, it's very snobby. I thought, um, I thought the whole thing start to finish was snobby. He starts the article with a very long drone about, he's not going to talk about something he's not an expert in, but then he says how he's got years of experience being an expert in coffee, but then later talks about how he doesn't like coffee snobs, but also when he goes to Dunkin' or Starbucks, he, quote, puts milk in the coffee. Because <laughs> he, uh, it's dismissive. Like, he knows it's going to be a bad product, so he just, ah, oh, that's not real coffee. Like, if this guy isn't a coffee snob, I don't know who is. I'm sure maybe in Brooklyn he isn't, but, like, to anyone outside Manhattan... 10 out of 10 people would say this guy is a coffee snob. And so I just, it's hard to take the entire premise of the article seriously from that point of view. Okay. So I, I would, I would maybe like to interject and say now that two of you, uh, have, have approached this with a, a, a reading of the premise that this is a person who is against snobbery and is attempting not to be a snob in his writing. And I think both of those are um, completely incorrect. I think this guy is very much a snob. He goes out of his way to openly celebrate snobbery and, and state 
for the record that the character of Ari Spiros from the the show Billions, who, if you have not seen the show, um, is like a, a, a many thousands of dollars espresso machine in his office lunatic, is the ideal coffee drinker. I think what this is, uh, what this is arguing against, and I, I found this a, a little more effective, if maybe kind of muddled. I read this as an argument against fake snobbery. Yeah, and and so, and we we've there's a portion of this that we've talked about before, and and Kevin, you and I had a discussion not that long ago about. <clears throat> you know, how you approach nicer coffee experiences now, and maybe that's come to differ. One thing that I got out of this article or piece is that we've discussed before the difference in coffee as as a vehicle for caffeine versus something to enjoy. And I think what he is, the person is describing here a lot is that these quote unquote good coffee places are presenting, expressing themselves in a way that they think that they are um, places to enjoy coffee, but really maybe they're just vehicles for caffeine uh, that are really no different than than Dunkin'. Did that did that strike you at all? And do you have a different view on the enjoy versus caffeine fuel, um, given I don't know your the your living situation over the last few years? Yeah, I think it, it kind of goes along with the you know the eating out topic we talked about a few weeks ago where uh, if you if you make your daily life so good that then when you go out it's not as special and I think that that's kind of where this the snobbishness I guess catches up to you where maybe before you I don't know. You didn't get have as good of equipment at home. Um, you didn't get as good of beans, and maybe you had a couple of places that you liked that sold coffee to you. But I feel like that my problem with the article is that this guy expects a business to cater to him, but he kind of makes it impossible for businesses to cater to him in a way that would satisfy him, and that would kind of go along with it. And he mentions the. And the other thing I thought was interesting is that he mentions the the cocktails and how yes, yes. It, like it used to be something like you'd go to a restaurant and you'd get a cocktail, but now I don't know you can easily make good cocktails at home, so the restaurants have to up the game. So uh, I don't know. to me, there are all these kind of related topics of people making their <laughs> their normal standard of living so high that they get upset when restaurants can't keep up with it. Yeah, and and that is <clears throat> I I put I put a note that this is essential, which is at the very end the author talks about going and having Cafe Cubano in Miami because it's one person making it and I feel like they're making it for me. And Max, you mentioned the snobbishness and and everything and I'm glad you mentioned the cocktails Kevin because I had a note about that which is I have talked about here that I went to a tiki place not too long ago with some friends and it was not a good experience. I thought because I was watching them making the drinks and I thought the ingredients were not very good and the experience um, of them making them didn't feel as special. And I think Max, 
what I was getting at, what I am getting at when thinking about that is I am being like this guy and saying, well, if I'm having something out, it better be made for me. It, it, you know, it better be a personal experience. Is that, is that the real snobby thing to expect there that it is special every time? Um, I don't think so. I mean, maybe that it's specially made to you, but I think like as much as I didn't like the author of the piece, the primary point about middle of the road coffee places presenting themselves as really good and charging really good prices, but not being really good does connect to me. And it connects very much with cocktails as well. Like this past weekend, I got an old fashioned at just a regular kind of bar and restaurant because they had a cocktail menu with like a special old fashioned and it, it tasted like fruit punch and bourbon with like shaved ice in it. I mean, it it wasn't, that sounds terrible. And, and that, maybe that's me being snobby, but like, that's not even really the product I ordered. And then an hour later, I went to a local whiskey bar and got a very good old fashioned with a choice bourbon for, I think it was either the same price or a dollar more. So like, there is something where it's like that place is doing cocktails and you expect a good cocktail. So if I went to a, but the first place wasn't a cocktail bar. It was just a bar that says, oh, we do cocktails too. I think there's a little difference there where he brings and, up the point of like places that do coffee mm-hmm. specifically. And I think that stands out to me more like a place like, what is it? Blue, blue, blue bottle. something or Intelligentsia. I've been to a few of these places and there are, there's a lot of hype around them. But I think to his point, like your, your local or coffee shops and roasteries and such are probably going to have maybe a better product. But he also admits that their coffee is still better than it was ten years ago. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's and, and yeah. Go ahead. It, it's a th- the, one of the things that I I have written down on my paper that that sort of goes along with this is like the the floor on everything has risen so high. Like, and, and a lot of this comes back to the idea that he touches on in the opening paragraph that Max hated, and again. Uh, in the second to last paragraph where he talks about how everybody thinks they're a coffee snob now because supposedly good coffee is easily attainable. Like everyone has access to way more information in all of its various forms than they did 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 30 years ago. But it's also lowered the, the bar for calling yourself an expert on something to that floor. And like, I th- I think it's just like, it's a, a very silly hollowing out of the, the, the middle class, so to speak. But like, I actually think in a lot of ways, this guy is arguing the, for the exact same thing, Kevin, that you, you are talking about and, and that you talked about on the, the restaurant pod, like to what I took away from it. And it may be because I've read it like three or four times. And I did like a kind of close reading this afternoon um, is it's an argument for like doing some self-reflection and Mm -hmm. figuring out like where these things fit into your life and how you use them because coffee and liquor are, are like perfect vessels for this weird hollowing out of the middle class because both of them have use cases that are very sort of utilitarian and and workmanlike there's uh you know get you through the day and get you through the end of the day so to speak uh but there's also like an opposite pole where there really is a level of 
craft involved and like the the point about cafe cubanos i think is really that choice makes a lot of sense to me because that is a style of coffee that is very labor and time intensive and it really is like legitimately a craft Mm -hmm. and so like that i think there's a, a lot of parallel to like you know proper mixology if you want to be an asshole and call it that um and and i think i think the point about you know i drink duncan and starbucks and whatever and put milk in it is it's a little ham-handed um but like it it's i i i took it after a few reads as someone who has like accepted that you know there are there are different times in my life where i want coffee to do different things and i'm gonna be more considered about what i want my coffee to be at x time of y day and try to go out of my way to make sure that i get coffee that will meet my expectations at the moment and and i think that coming back to the cafe cubano example that is a thing that exists in a very specific place and maybe you can do it at home i don't really know i've never tried but the idea of talking about a place a city where it exists like that is those are things that are very tied what what the crux of the issue here is that these places are not unique in what they are doing and the their product is not um, specific to that place. And and right at the beginning, and, and I, I do want to come to this because uh, it is written, if everybody could drink Starbucks, then a lot of people didn't want to be like everybody. I do think that that is a central tenet of this, which is Starbucks is everywhere and you they wanted something different. They, they wanted to kind of rebel against that. But the thing about Starbucks and the same can be said for places like McDonald's is the experience of there is very consistent everywhere you go. And I've spent plenty of time in Starbucks and the product that I'm going for is not so much anything that they are serving as much as like this is a a warm and cozy and safe place to be because I'm in a big city and I need 20 minutes and don't don't know where I'm going. So what what is funny about it is that there's so much time spent bashing Starbucks, but at least it is consistent. And these places are inconsistent and sometimes let you down because they don't realize that their product is their space and place just as much, much as it's as everything else, the coffee, because that playing field has become plateaued in many ways. But he does also go out of his way to point out that there was a point in time where Starbucks was legitimately something new and different and of yeah. a higher quality than what you could get at the time. Like this is a, a pattern that we see happen with so many other things. There's like a new and unexpected alternative that pops up. It starts to get some traction because it is interesting and different and is giving you something that the the previous industry dinosaur you know Folgers Maxwell House doesn't but then over time if it really gains enough traction it becomes the industry dinosaur it gets seized upon and commodified 
where where the you know where on the axis like if you think of like a sliding scale between consistency and quality and and accept that it's kind of hard to do both at a really high level and frankly it's not really what american business is about anymore um then like as you become the dinosaur your priority shifts on the axis from quality to consistency yeah and so like it's it's all cyclical like the thing that the thing that you rebel with becomes the thing that people later rebel against yeah and and yeah go ahead kevin and I, i was just gonna say i don't know i can't tell if he's kind of I don't want to use bashing, but you know, if he's uh, critiquing people who are going to these places as, instead of going to Starbucks just because they don't want to go to Starbucks, but they don't actually care about the coffee either, or if he's saying that these places think that they're making a better product than Starbucks when they really aren't. But I think that for the most part, people will go to these types of coffee shops that sell the other brands of beans just because they want to be in a, in a in a coffee shop and i i don't know i don't know if it's up to this guy to say whether those shops are doing a good job creating the the vibe of those places so, i i think maybe what he's he's asking is is for these less i mean really less so the consumer i mean the consumer thinking about the producer or the shop owner but but really for for them to be honest about what what their product actually is and what their differentiator is and kevin i was actually going to ask you i don't know if you're familiar with the blank street coffee which which is mentioned here but basically they're 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 food truck size things and they just have an espresso espresso bar set up and they have drip coffee. And as is mentioned, it's a little bit cheaper, but you can't go sit down in it. And I was wondering, you know, given the the uh, the way and, and Max, I think you have feelings on this too, but like it's it's you know, increasing your margins there, making it a little bit cheaper to make a little bit more because seemingly the market is so oversaturated and everything's the same but i was wondering how you two responded to to that concept of of blank street coffee yeah well real quick i'll just go and then my only thought on it is that the the customers were filled with their wallet so if the company wants to try that like more more power to them that's kind of all i have on that i think in terms of of like coffee shops as purely a vessel for the product and not a space Reminds me of something specific to at least the West Coast and especially the Pacific Northwest, which is drive through coffee places. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a gajillion of them here, and it's not something I had ever seen before moving here. They're all over the place, and that's exactly what they do, right? Like they're a, like a picture of a, a toll booth for coffee. Yeah. And part of that is that, you know, he's in Brooklyn, so that's, it sounds like Blank Street is essentially the same thing, but for walking up maybe. Um, but yeah, I agree with Kevin. I mean, I I don't know. I I appreciate coffee spaces. Like that doesn't serve my purpose, but for the person that's commuting to work and just wants to grab a coffee, I think there's room for that. And he does, he does say, and, and Sean, maybe you were thinking about this too, but, and, and I, I pulled it out and quoted it, which is why be snobby when I can walk outside. This is a very Brooklyn specific thing. The idea of like, why would I make coffee at home? when i can just walk outside and all their stuff and to that like 
while that rubbed me the wrong way, it is to Kevin's point, like, all right, you know, vote with your wallet. That's, that's the way it works. And he does say, you know, blank street is looking for two times a day, which also threw me back because then is it an experience at all? Or just like your lifeline. Um, I, I found that, I guess that's the market. And maybe Sean, I just do not understand this market, which could be, you know, caveat to our criticism. Well, no, I mean, I think, I think he's sort of making an argument that they're the blank street model of like a place that is just trying to be the lifeline and just be your caffeine IV twice a day is like a legitimate market niche that he sort of wishes. I think I'm I'm reading between the lines a little bit, but I think what he's trying to say in some ways is that he wishes some of these places that are purporting to be a cut above would just be fucking honest and become like blank street and just accept that they are not there to be on the quality end of the slide, like the sliding scale and should in fact like if what if you're going to purport quality and fail to deliver quality and quality for price then you should just take a hard 180 and go to the other end and do consistency right and that's kind of what i was getting to at first which is I think there are some people who do they don't if they're not a coffee snob mm-hmm. they don't they just don't want to go to starbucks but they want something that feels like starbucks but they're not you know at a big business and if you're a coffee snob like, like being honest is only useful to the coffee snobs and the coffee snobs are just gonna they're not gonna like you anyway so <laughs> like, yeah, and, and I, I get what he's point. saying but i'm just like why if, if i were a coffee if if I were a coffee store owner reading this, I would not care what this guy has to think. And that's that's the thing about being a, a, a coffee snob or someone who is really particular. Sean, you mentioned the the in-office setup of this person on, on billions. Mm-hmm. And the thing there, and and where where the author says this argument isn't about coffee, and it's true, because we know that when you when you make it yourself or or you know someone makes it individually for you maybe that's a pour over or whatever that's that's kind of the supreme experience if you're really you know encouraged by how the coffee itself is going to take like that's that's i think really true if if you are a snob that's how you feel so um uh, yeah this is really uh, this is really about <laughs> something something different and i think that there's this idea of, oh, I'm going to go support my local place. But a lot of these local places are making their decisions based off of reasonable business decisions. It's it's like, you know, Intelligentsia want, helped me with my coffee program and developing it. And they gave us materials and they gave us instructions on how to do it. And that's fine. You know, maybe that mm-hmm. is that is a local business. But if you think it is local and special and that's why you're going there versus Starbucks, like – you know, this is like all McDonald's are individual franchises. Like someone maybe in your community has owns that business, but you they're they're being served by a big national brand. And in some ways, I think that a lot of these coffee places are not different if they are, you know, serving counterculture beans or La Colombe beans. And and so 
local is a weird concept. Yeah, that's that's sort of what I wanted to get at because like McDonald's, the owners are all different, but it's all under the same brand umbrella, and you know that. Mm -hmm. You know when you walk into any McDonald's, it doesn't matter what Tom, Dick, or Harry owns it. You know, and, and is the franchisee. It's a McDonald's and it operates off of McDonald's corporate standards. I think that the tricky thing here is that these coffee shops, you know, at least some segment of them are working with the same providers and distributors, but you have no way of knowing that. And so you as a consumer might reasonably expect local differentiation that you aren't getting. And mm-hmm. like, I don't, that may or may not be a good thing. I don't, I don't know. Um, but like, I, I think for me, you know, and, and this is, this is where it comes back to like where you, where you live and where you drink your coffee. Like, you know, you, you, you are in a a better position for this if you are in a place that has more coffee shops that roast their own beans. Like I think of in Richmond, like Blanchard's has three different locations and I can go over to the one by VCU on a weekend day when I'm like not in a rush and I can, you know, go to a place that's kind of out of my way and get a dollar cup of coffee and know that it's still their beans and they, uh, you know, they have given me no reason to doubt their, their quality yet. So like that, that feels like, you know, it feels for someone who is like a, maybe a mild coffee snob, because I don't, I don't think of myself as like a real, coffee snob i drink a lot of my coffee from my local grocery store um but like i don't ever feel like i'm being sold a bill of goods by them um in a way that i can sort of feel i i can sort of see how i might feel like i was if i were someone who had had been sold this vision of blue bottle as like a high quality brand for years and then went to a place that brewed blue bottle coffee but just did a shitty job of it yeah yeah i mean i think (laughs) it's funny i think back to historically what are coffee houses going back to the days when coffee first came to europe in places like vienna and paris and in london and they were really social places um and there's actually jonathan wilson's uh is it jonathan wilson's inverting the pyramids there's a lot of discussion about coffee houses and tactics and soccer and being able to introduce it these are social spaces like similar to barber shops in a way they are civic spaces and like yes there is business going on there but it is about the space and so i the one thing that this piece made me think about most is like what do I want from these places? Do I want a really good coffee experience or do I want a really good um, social type experience? And I don't know. I, I think it's I think it's important to ask those questions because I don't know if that's a consumer question or a producer question, but this made me think more about what I want out of a, a quote unquote 
coffee shop? Do do I want the best product I've ever had? Uh, do I want the the best sit down experience I've had to look at my phone? I don't know. I, I don't know. But I get you know, Maybe these places need to be a little bit more honest about what they are supporting. Well, I think this uh, this is probably a pretty good place to to put a bow on this. But it, just, it reminded me the last the last note I have on my on my printout um uh, is is that like there are there are shades of something we've talked about before uh, and and I I I reference back to um Aziz Ansari both in the book that he wrote about uh dating and in an episode of Master of None uh kind of uh, pokes at the millennial generation's obsession with reviews and getting <laughs> the the best of a thing. And I think that's more than anything, yeah. that's what this to me is like an argument against is, yeah. um, you know, thinking that you can always have the best. Max, any last thoughts from your your notes? No, I think that's I think that's you, fair. You just, <laughs> you just you just you just want you just want Brooklyn to to sink into the ocean. Would that be would that be helpful? Yeah, I mean, I I mentioned I had a note about the fact that I think bodegas probably genuinely care more about all of their products than random places like he says oh like i'll just go to the bodega as if like he doesn't say i'll go to mick cafe like i don't know we don't all have access to bodegas so i feel like that's from what i've heard like and all the stories you hear out of new york like it's a they're part of a community and i think that they they really appreciate that spot um also europe would be would be laughing at us for their snobbery because because coffee in america is not coffee anywhere else so i also find that funny when we talk about coffee and it's like why are you talking about espresso because like there's plenty of coffee places here that do not even have non-espresso coffee i'm so glad you said that Uh, this is this is the place we should wrap up um my so my family just recently went to italy uh but also in a totally separate trip emily's mom and some of her friends went to italy and um apparently uh her mom like the first night they were there had an espresso in a restaurant and thought it was like the worst thing she's ever had and I just, I pretty confidently said, like, no, you just don't understand what espresso is supposed to taste like. I promise these people are the ones that are making it right. Yep. So checking checking your so-called expertise at the door because it's probably not actually expertise. Yep. All right. Yeah. Now that we've talked about Manifest Destiny. <laughs> it's probably time uh for for pierce to apologize for something that sounds an awful lot like um you know expecting that you had expertise in a scenario where you maybe did not actually have it um so this is actually an instance of of me not having expertise and not really knowing what to do with it so whenever this comes out i will have i I recently had a a a road race um run and i think i I actually don't remember if I saved you all from talking about this, but in the week leading up to it, I was feeling really well prepared and I felt very positive, which is not something I've really felt before. Um, except I woke up one day, well, really in the evening of a day after a, a, a nice preparatory run. Um, and like my ankle and foot hurt 
and I had never had that happen before and I didn't know what to do. So really my apology is to all the people around me in the week leading up to that because I talked about how I was concerned about this constantly. Um, you know, I'm concerned, I've got it coming up on Sunday, but I'm really concerned. I don't know how it's going to react. I have a big event coming up and I want to be able to stand. And just fortunately, it was all people that, that I already knew. So they, so they knew like, this is just how he is. This is the way in which he's broken. Um, but everything was fine. Like it ended up going, okay, I don't, I don't feel great right now. Like there's, there's definitely some pain, but no one needed to know about how my body was or was not working. It's it's none of their business and none of them asked about it. And so I'm sorry for berating all of them with tales of how my, you know, ankle slash foot was not feeling 100%. Um, so I'm sorry for that. Uh, you did spare us and, and that was very generous of you. So thank you for that. Oh, yeah, you're welcome. Um, all right. Uh, we'll do a big idea from pop culture and uh just you know to let you behind the curtain we're we're recording a few of these at a clip to try to you know prepare for future scheduling concerns um and so it's a little (laughs) it's a little difficult to to come up with things multiple days in a row uh so if anybody has something that they want to recommend i I will cede the floor to you but I, i will also say that uh, the the NBA is back tonight as we are recording this, and that is something that uh, apparently all four of us on this pod are are now very excited about. So, yeah, Malcolm Kevin, Brogdon on the Celtics. Less go. excited. It's about got that. Some, it's got something for everyone. Uh, well, if you're I, interested I, in the NBA, there's this really good uh, almanac that was created by a bunch of uh, NBA Reddit users that you can pay. <laughs> Pay what you want for, so go oh, check that dro- off. Drop a, a drop a link after this, and I'll I'll put it up in the show notes. Max, your your big idea. No, we'll really? save it save it for another time. Oh wow! Uh, keep us leave us hanging. All right, that's good. That's good. Well, in that case, as as we wait with bated breath, uh, we'll we'll do a Rolling Stone rock trivia question. Um. Okay. In his career, how many shows? Did Elvis Presley perform outside of the United States? Is it A, zero, B, five, C, 89, or D, 435? I'm going to say A. D? I'm going to do... B five. Well, Pierce, you are gonna be right. Damn it. He performed five, all of them in nineteen fifty seven, all of them in Canada. I was gonna say it okay. must have been like a one yeah, okay. I was thinking right. outside North America. No, I, I, I knew it was very I very explicitly I very explicitly said outside the United States. Yeah, but Canada. <laughs> Max makes a like good point. Tim Horton land. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's, I, I question this, not just because, you know, what Canada is, which is, you know, uh, part of part of Vermont, um, uh, but but also like someone from Tupelo, Mississippi c- cannot survive that long in the cold. So I, I don't know that this really happened. 
have to review the tape. We don't know that they weren't in June. Oh, that's true. All right, I stand corrected. <laughs> um, all right, uh, that's the end of the show. You can find us at our home on the web, www.prettyokpod.com. Uh, or you can subscribe to the pod on your podcast app of choice. Uh, if you do that, tell a friend about the show. We'd love to share it with them as well. We'll be back again next week to talk about something else. Until then, I'm Sean. I'm Pierce. I'm Max. I'm Kevin. Thanks for listening.